All right, all go together. And Spine has just uh, let me know that the Fox Records press release, um, again, apparently that's a pretty uh, pretty cool little resource for some of this stuff. They call this song, uh, Stuart called this song, A Tribal Call for Global Unity. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty pretty clear uh, from the from the lyrics of this song. I mean, it's a heavily environmentally influenced type of song. And of course, as big country fans, longtime big country fans, and I'm sure most people who, who are and who were at the time can relate to this, you see a title like All Go Together, and the first thing you think is All Fall Together. Yep. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> Couldn't be the more apart. All right. Well, I don't know. I mean, they are apart, yes, but... Musically speaking. Yeah, musically speaking, no doubt about it. Um, lyrically speaking, they both are very similar in the fact that they portray some sort of apocalypse mm -hmm. and the destruction of something. I think uh, in, all, in All Go Together, it's the, the destruction of humanity. In, in All Fall Together, it almost seems like uh, less something less than that, but still, the all-out all destruction. Um, but there are some other interesting differences between the two that I'll talk about here in a second. But this song to me is... Uh, and, and what was it Tony said? He said something like there, there was great uh, axe work from the two axe men in this song. And I think he's, he's spot on with that. Uh, just some great guitar playing in this. Um, now it starts out with, I think, a, a, a conceit that could be maybe viewed as cheesy or in, in other hands. And that is, you know, anytime you start a song with a big football chorus of, Hey, you know, you don't, you don't know what that's going to do. Is that, is that going to work? Is that not going to work? I think it works on this. I love it. And I love, I actually love the wah guitar solo too, or, or the wah guitar parts um, that, that introduced this song. Wah, 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 wah guitar is kind of a hit and miss thing with me. Sometimes I think it works perfectly in a song. Other times it takes me maybe like to psychedelic rock, which is not one of my favorite types of things. I, I've used it a couple of times in my own stuff. Uh, I know Big Country has used it uh, more than once in theirs. And I, I like when they use it. And I, I like when the way they use it here. Um, this song to me is one of the best examples of the album of Big Country being able to change their style, their sound, and still maintain what it is about them that makes them big country um i i haven't heard anything in the big country catalog before this or i hadn't when i heard this that sounded like this song and yet it still sounded completely big country to me and i just love this song i i adore it i think it is just a kick-ass focused homing missile that just fires in there and I think we I had some kind of comment on a, one past episode, and I'll try to paraphrase some of that with this song. But it, it just like kind of comes in, it breaks in, and it grabs you by the scruff of the neck. It smashes your head against the table, and then it eats your food in front of you, and then it picks you up and it throws you out your own window, and uh, and then it walks out casually out the door. <laughs> I think I think what you said the last time was it comes in, kicks you in the groin, eats your breakfast, and leaves. Okay. All right. All right. Well, it eats your lunch this time and leaves. I don't know. Um, but it, it's a powerful song. And, and I, I, I think it's, it's probably the heaviest song on the album. Um, and again, I, I go back to that roundtable discussion when I, I always thought that this might have been an interesting attempt at a single in America. I don't know. Ian Grant told me I was insane. But um, I thought it could have been an interesting thing. I think it's really catchy. Um, it's 
infinitely or imminently um, catchy. It's something that you just want to sing to sing along to immediately. Um, the really interesting thing I, I think about this song lyrically, though, I mean, as I said, it, it harkens back immediately to all fall together. And I got to assume that Stuart maybe thought that, too, at least to, to some extent. How could you not? Um, but the interesting difference to me between those two songs is that all fall together is is very so plaintive. And I'm, I'm only speaking about lyrics here and delivery, not music, because the music is clearly very different. But the the lyrics of All Fall Together and just the way it's delivered, it, it's a very plaintive type of song. It's a very despairing type of song. It's 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 incredibly melancholy and sad. And you get the feeling that the person singing it is is desperate and they might have accepted what's to come or what's happening, but they're just crushed and they're they're destroyed by it. Whereas I've always felt like the the protagonists and all go together almost seems weirdly happy about what they're singing about. And to me, that gives it this this kind of even more of a foreboding, um, I don't want to say evil because it certainly doesn't sound evil, but there is this this sense of like, uh, it, it kind of reminded me, it hit me today, it reminds me of something like uh, Emperor Nero playing the fiddle while Rome is burning. And it's like just the way Stuart sings this song uh, with these lyrics, it almost seems like he's rubbing someone's face in it, like he's rubbing humanity's face in it. He, the, the, the singer doesn't sound like he's incredibly depressed or upset. He's just like uh, a sky hole here. The sun's let in. It melts the ice. It melts my skin. And cities crumble, vermin feed. It, it's almost like he's saying this in a very matter-of-fact way. And I can almost picture this like bizarre crazed smile on the guy's face who's singing this it's like it's it's all come to an end and he's saying see this is what you get this is what you've this is what you've earned and now now here it is it's come upon you and um that that makes the song kind of even more uh more powerful to me in a way thinking of it that way i think what kind of adds to that feel is this really interesting approach that he takes to the to the way it's sung and that we've got the we've got the the main melody line of the verses but he's also speaking in the background um he's speaking the lines over him singing them and it, it's got this weird like garbled type of effect on it as well and it gives it a creepy kind of uh almost frightening type of feel to it When 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 the wah wa guitar starts the song, you're wondering what's coming. You know, is this like another black skin, blue eyed boys type of song or or not? But it quickly puts your mind at ease with that great little guitar line. It's very simple, but it goes throughout the song, and it and it's that very tribal Celtic um, sound. So when Stuart made that comment about um, that a tribal call, I, I think that's really fitting because this song has a tribal feel to it and it really does and just just that you can really get that from that very first guitar part the 
very tribal sound and you could picture people dancing around a fire to that almost and and um i just love it and it's it's celtic but it's big country and it sounds so great um hit me immediately and i've said you know before that when i read the lyrics to the song before i'd heard it i saw the line the cattle call and i thought it sounded like a big country song to me and that took me back to close action with the monkeys burn the monkeys burn the cattle call um but the song, when I heard it, when I finally heard it, it was a lot different than what my mind was was trying to figure out because I was kind of thinking of something like a close action type of feel to it. But this is far from that. Um, now, the the one the one criticism that this song often gets, and I'm I'm getting the feeling that that you might be offering this as well, and I've heard it from others too, and it's a valid criticism, is that it just it's too repetitive. It goes on too long. It it's uh, the chorus is is there are too many ver- too many repeats of the chorus. It's got a, it's got too much of a repetitive feel, and and that is true. It's very repetitive, but to me, it's repetitive in the way that um, some sort of uh, crazed tribal dance might be a repetitive thing. That kind of when when I hear this song, and as it, especially as it crescendos to the end, I get the feeling of someone just like. And I already already mentioned this idea of someone dancing around a fire. But if you've ever seen any kind of uh, tribal dance like that it often will will just continue to repeat and it'll hit this this motif that just goes on and on but it'll but it'll build as well as it repeats and it'll maybe get faster and faster and the person who's doing the dance will start spinning around faster and faster and then suddenly it just ends and they fall and collapse on the floor and that's kind of what i get from this song so for me the the repetition works i'll grant you that it's there but it works and one of the reasons that it that it's that it works in this song too is the way what I think is the ingenious way that they have structured it to kind of, I get the feeling that they were aware of, of that being a potential, a potential problem in the song. And they did some things that to me alleviate that. Um, one of the, one of the things they do is in the choruses. Uh, for example, the very first time that we get the go into the all go together chorus, the guitar and the the chords playing behind that, are really just one chord and maybe you could say two because it's like da 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 um, behind the chorus that's being sung over and over again. The second time they hit that chorus, it goes into a completely different chord progression. Even though the melody is exactly the same, it goes into what I view as a classic big country chord progression. It's like... And that to me, like, just gives the song an immediate lift, and um, it, it's it just uh, man, it just connects with me so strongly as a big country fan. Um, I love that chord progression. I love it when it kicks into that, and they they repeat that again for the second time, the or the third time the chorus is repeated, and then the next time they go back to the way it was brought in in the beginning with just those two chords. And I think for me, anyway, that really goes a long way into breaking up a lot of the repetition. Um, 
unlike some of the songs on this album, which have like verses, choruses, bridges, second bridges, this song really pretty much just has two parts. It's got verse, chorus, and that's it. Um, I think that's a welcome relief in a way, and and it helps with the song length as well, which is only four minutes long, which is pretty short for big country standards, and it makes the song seem a little bit more focused and a little bit more, um, just a little bit more powerful to me, um, focused power. It doesn't overstay its welcome for me, and I know it does for some, but for me it doesn't have that issue. Another way that it does that is in one of the middle verses, Again, it's the same melody as the, all of the other verses. It's the same chord progression as all the other verses, but there's a, there's a breakdown section where you get just like Tony's bass playing and you get, um, this treatment on the drums that sounds a little bit different from what goes th- through the rest of the song. It's like this, this sound that's given to Simon's drums. They just suddenly they sound even bigger than they did before. I love that. I think that adds to the song as well. And again, sort of alleviates what could be a problem with the song, which is repetition. Um, to me, that that really helps that that issue. Um, and I, I talked about this on the roundtable as well, but my favorite probably part of the song is at the end when you do get that chorus repeating over and over again. And you think, okay, surely it's going to end here, but it doesn't. It goes back into the chorus again, but Simon kicks into this double time beat on this on the hi-hat and again another example of the song suddenly even though it's the same thing the same part suddenly there's a difference in it that lifts the song and to me gives it that sense that i referenced before of this uh of this tribal dance and this dancer at the end just going faster and faster and spinning and spinning and then suddenly it just ends and it collapse and they collapse Now, I did notice on the live version of this that they they did not play the chorus at the end as long as they do on the studio version. So maybe they felt like live it it didn't work, or maybe they maybe they thought it was too repetitive. I don't know, but I did. I they they kind of cut out at least a couple choruses on the live version, um, and they ended it at a more expected ending point. Um, but uh, I I think it's great the way they they did it on the album. I have no problems with it at all as far as the uh, as far as the repetition. Um, I will say when when you consider the live version of this song, I always thought it was just a fantastic show opener. I think it works beautifully as a way to open the show. And again, we get that strange irony where it's it is very tribal, and you get everyone feeling and pumping their fists. I mean, when I saw them play this live uh the crowd seemed to know the song and they were getting into it and just all we will all go together when we go when we go very celtic sounding phrase and a phrase that is so uh catchy and a phrase that you just want to take up and sing along to and pump your fist into the air even though you're basically pumping your fist to the thoughts of your own destruction and and the destruction of your entire race um that's the great irony of a lot of these big country songs and and uh we have that here again, just some tremendous emotion in this song. Um, 
but from a different perspective in a way than, than we've had the emotion before. There's a lot of anger. Anger is the pervading emotion in the song, I think. At least that's how I take it. But again, it's got almost like this little nasty type of type of overtone to it. And it, like I say, it almost seems like the person singing is almost uh, almost reveling in the, in the destruction uh, the, rather than rather than trying to warn or something. It's it's kind of maybe like the ghost of Christmas past or something who's who's uh, got this mean streak about it but he is offering this final warning and he's showing you what's happening and what's going to happen but if you don't take the warning they're fine with it yeah it's, <laughs> it's going to happen either way but here i'll give you one last chance um so yeah the the lyrics to this song are, are very straightforward they don't they don't bear tremendous um dissection i mean it's it's a song about um the destruction of the environment in, in many ways. We've got the sky hole, which clearly relates to the ozone layer being destroyed. Um, we've got, uh, you know, talk about different uh, problems with the environment leading to the rise in vermin and plague and in different uh, societies and third world countries, especially. We've got the chainsaw roars, the forests fall, which the natives hide um, reference to the destruction of perhaps the, the Amazon forest and these, these areas where it, it all gets back to Stewart's initial comment about this album. And the reason he came up with this title, the idea of people being willing to take something beautiful and just squeeze every last ounce that they can raping the environment, um, destroying these things, having no regard for, for um, the way that they are using the environment, going back to the Buffalo skinners, as was mentioned before, just taking the hide, leaving the rest to rot, um, letting things go to waste. And that's what you have here. And then of course you've got the final reference to the atom bomb. And then what are clearly the most powerful lines in the song? And again, brought up on the round table by Tim and I echoed his sentiment completely. And that is nothing is done for all of this until most to blame is most at risk. And that, that line always struck me as being just a brilliant, simple, but brilliant line. And you hear that and just like, yeah, that's so true. And it goes back to Stuart repeats that phrase a lot in his work. I mean, um, the golden rule, those who have the gold make the rules. I mean, I think that's in, in one of those tunes, message of love, I think. Um, and he, he repeats that kind of thing a, a lot throughout his lyrics. And that's just another, this, this song is just another example of that. And to me, probably his most powerful example of that, uh, this version was also recorded acoustically and put on the non-single, which if you remember was a single promoting um, Greenpeace. And it was the perfect song, I think, to put on there.
sun's laid in It melts the ice, man, it melts my skin The oceans rise, the lands recede Cities crumble and the vermin feed We will all go together All go together when we go We will all go together All go together when we go And we will go together All go together when we go We will all go together All go together Um, and it was an interesting version. The the acoustic version was interesting. Um, but I think this is one song that really needs the full on electric treatment um to to really give it its most it's it's the most power uh that it that it rightfully deserves. Um I don't know. There's something about this song I I just I just get totally taken in by it. I get mesmerized by it. I I love it. I love the chorus, I love singing along to it, I love everything about it. It's it sounds like these Celtic warriors charging over the hill in a way and singing this, this chorus. It's just, uh, I remember when I heard it I, for the first time, I just thought this is going to be one of my favorites on the album. And it, it certainly is. Um, I think it's one of the standout tunes on the album. And I think it's just a, a great, deceptively simple song, but um, very well structured. And the, the last thing I'll say about it is, uh, I always, the live version I always thought was interesting too, because they would, um, and they kind of repeat this on the acoustic version for the non CD where I don't know how well it worked or not, but I kind of liked it. Uh, Tony would go into this kind of little rap thing, uh, toward the end and Stuart would sing all go together and Tony would kind of go all go together when we go, when we go, <laughs> it's yeah. kind of, it was kind of funny, maybe boring on cheesy in a way, but I liked it. It kind of worked certainly much, much better than the rap that they attempted on in a uh, heart of the world live. If you ever heard that, if you haven't heard that, you should seek that out because that's, that's kind of interesting. And I'll put interesting in quotes. Um, but the yeah, first, I, the first the first time I heard the acoustic version on the non-single, I did a double take. And, <laughs> right. and suddenly, out of the blue, you hear this voice: "I'll get it together when we go." <laughs> what <Yeah>. the heck? <laughs> I still, yeah, I still, I, st I still, I still don't know how to take it after all these years. But uh, it's um, <laughs> it, it, interesting. In quote, this uh, is probably a good way of putting it. Yeah, it's like. Um... Now I reserve that for the heart of the world rap, but I I, I, I would put it there too. But I I'm glad it it's not on the yeah I'm glad it's not on the studio version. But it was kind of oh interesting. God, yeah. it, it gave Tony a, a way to get into this song live. But anyway, <laughs> th this is a this is a favorite of mine. I think it's a concise, really well structured, focused little uh, laser blast um, to the solar plexus, and I think it's a great piece of work. Incredible. And with that, I turn it over to you. Incredible. So how do you rank it? This is my number three song on the album. <laughs> because there's nothing left for me to say. We might as well rank it. No, that, that, that was incredible. That was uh, totally incredible. Uh, I definitely have less to say. And uh, I don't know if I... I might actually have a couple things you didn't mention, but that was okay. uh, an incredible breakdown. Okay. And uh, I agree for the most part with what you said, even though I will reveal this is our biggest gap as far as rating the song. Ah. Uh, but uh, the tribal call for global unity that we started with the, from Fox Record press release, and that's going, that's becoming more legendary with every song. But the tribal is a good word, because that is absolutely how I feel about the music on the song too. Uh, the music mm -hmm. is extremely percussive, very rhythmic, almost hypnotic. So uh, it ties in exactly with everything you said. I think the playing is super tight and 
on the mark each and every beat. And we heard from Tony's introduction that he had a problem with the bass not being prominent enough in the mix for some of the songs. But mm. he must have been very pleased with All Go Together because this is without question the song on the album with the most pronounced bass line. Yeah. So uh, not in terms of being a virtuoso line that is all over the place, but it's way up there. And it really does a phenomenal job of driving the song forward. And the song is all that much better for it. And I'm uh, I'm surely not the only one, I think, who gets into that bass line big time when they kick into especially the chorus. And I know we have a couple of different choruses, but that is really the line you hum. It's the do-do-do-do-do, and it's so good. It, the, ba- the, bass, the bass almost become the rhythm melody of the song. And uh, especially for some of those choruses, the guitar add this high-pitched screeching dual melody lines way on top there (laughs) yeah yeah at times when you listen in headphones i almost find those guitar lines a bit too screeching and high-pitched but it does fit the the song and the feeling of panic and the feeling of everything going to hell in a handbasket it's good shit (laughs) so uh it really just said that and and left it at that yeah (laughs) but before we get too deeply into the song i want to say that this is the fourth and final song on this album where we have an early Bruce Watson demo with the music that ended up on this song. So this is once again from the Demology collection, which contained, as we've said many times, 11 untitled tracks. Track number one on that collection is the instrumental demo to all go together.
Very cool. Can't even, I can't even remember that. <laughs> i got to have something to keep you interested. <laughs> it's fun to go back and hear some of these. I, I think I have Demology somewhere, but I... Man, I haven't listened to that in ages. No, me neither. It's, these are the occasions you drag it out for. The interesting thing about this track is that it almost didn't make the album. And uh, we have a quote from Bruce from the liner notes to the remaster, where he says, this almost didn't make the album, as Briggs wasn't too keen on it. Wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah, Chris Briggs didn't want this. He, he did not like it, didn't care for it. But as Bruce continues, we opened our set with it, and it became a fan's favorite Although I must admit, preferring the acoustic version that we did. Mm. So, uh, all right, Bruce, I, I don't agree, but uh, both have some merit. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. So we, we've kind of touched on the, the music, and I think you covered everything well there. It, it really supports the feeling of panic and doom and Armageddon. And I, I just think the playing is so tight. It is. Yeah. When the so music, good. The music comes in, and it's like a fist in the face. Boom. Uh, so Bruce and Stuart really letting it rip on guitar throughout the entire song. But Tony is the one who drives the song forward. And the drums, <laughs> holy smokes, the, the drums need to punch and kick ass more than any other song on this album. <laughs> but but even so, there's this, this hi-hat playing on the song, which, yes. Mark, which Mark also picks up on when, when he came back. But uh, Simon was not at all about putting in those traditional big country flourishes here and there. And mm -hmm. I um, I would never have expected it in this song. But you hear it. Musically, this was never going to be the most diverse song on the album, but they do manage to throw a couple things in to mix it up. Like uh, you mentioned uh, the different approaches to choruses. I don't think you mentioned the third verse when the guitars drop out and Stuart just sings over the bass and drums. I love stuff like that. No, I did mention that. Okay. Yeah, I Were think, you typing? Uh, I'm not typing. <laughs> you are just as hypnotic as the song. You just uh, <laughs> sit there in a trance. But that part, that part is really cool in itself, but it's also the utter sense of euphoria when everybody kick in again. It just... That's so good, and it's important, because even though this song definitely contributes to the perception of the album being one-dimensional, uh, which it does, it still manages to throw in little moments like that and mix it up a bit. So uh, yeah. I love the music to the song. The, the, no question. Oh, and one other thing I wanted to mention, too, kind of in that line in the the very last verse, when he repeats the first verse again, there's like this rising guitar line. I don't know what it is exactly, but it's like, Ooh, as you're seeing the sky hole here, the sun's let in again. Hmm. Um, it, there's this rising guitar line in there, and it, it's so cool. It adds to the tension even more. And it, it, that's another example of helping to break up the fact that he's just really repeating the same verse again, but it's, it, it works. Oh, that's great. Yeah, th th there are little things happening all the time. And the, the more time you, you spend just listening for them, you notice them. So, uh, yeah, I, lo I love the music to the song. I think it's great all over. The lyrics, however, we, we, we definitely feel different about. I, I think these are probably my least favorite lyrics on the entire album. And uh, I do understand that Stuart wanted to throw something in there to, to bring environmental awareness. And he was 
he was interested in these things. He did want to bring it to the front. But if you're going to do that, you need to get beyond the protest march slogans. And I don't know, a sky hole here, the sun slid in, it melts the ice, it melts my skin. I, I don't think that's particularly uh, clever. I, I, I don't think I need to hear environmental slogans in a song unless, unless they bring something more to that. They, they feel knocked together. I mean, the oceans rise, cities crumble, we split the atom, we build the bombs. I kind of, I'm left with a, so what? What's the message? What, what should we change? What should mm. we do? Is the message that we're going to hell no matter what we do? And also <laughs> the, the fourth verse is just a repeating of the first verse. So, so that verse is repeated twice. If it was a good verse that had a punchline or something special that you needed to bring them round again, then it would be a very effective tool. But it wasn't anything special the first time round. So repeating it at the end, it just feels redundant. So How can a verse with the words vermin feed not be a great verse? I mean, come on. <laughs> it's got the words vermin feed in it. You it needs to be repeated. You're making my point for me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> now, what, 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 I, what I do like, there, there's a definite, you mentioned it, some, some sort of carelessness. I call it not giving a fuck. The song doesn't give a fuck about this. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, right. it's, it's clearly all going to hell and we're all going to go together when we go. And you better believe that we really are going to go when disaster finally strikes. So right. that, so that is, the, the song taps into something there that I wish they had gone more into. I wish the lyrics did, um, I wish they did a better job of really playing into that because that is the aspect I sense I would latch on to. I, I think more sarcasm, play a bit more into the music. And if there's a punchline, let the chorus deliver it. And I, I have to say, I, I think we will all go together when we go isn't bad. Apart from coming across as repetitive, especially towards the end, um, it works. That line works fine for me. It's, it's really the rest that lets the song down. But then again, I... I don't know if most people know the words or, or care what they are. This is another one of those yeah songs. <laughs> it, it, it was the show opener and it got the crowd going like nothing else. So I guess the, the song worked fine. And all you need is one line that even the lowest common denominator will know what to sing in the chorus. And there's a lot of chorus here. It, it's, it's a perfect show opener, really. So I think a bit more scathing, like a sky hole here, let the sun in, melt, melt the ice, melt my skin. Yeah, just... I, I see what you're saying. I, I definitely see what you're saying with the lyrics, and they are—they do have that protest slogan poster feel to them in a way. I, I guess I don't have an issue with that because, in this case, because I feel like the music is just as you as we said, it's just so pummeling, and it's almost like the verses are are it, the song is is not really set up to be a more thoughtful approach to the environmental issues. It's just like. Here it is. It hits you in the face musically. It hits you in the face lyrically. And it's not like the things that are being said here, even though they are these big, huge topics and there's not a lot of um, uh, nuance to what he's saying, they're still – it doesn't make them any less true and less of a problem. And, and then there are some nuanced lines like I always liked the atoms split to heat the town, but they also build a bomb to knock it down. I mean, yeah, that's kind of simpl simplistic in a way, but it, I like that dichotomy of of the atom being used for something good but it it also just levels the whole city that it's designed to heat um, that, that third verse is probably the best verse uh, in the song because that also contains the line you you mentioned earlier about nothing is done for all of this till most to blame is most at risk right so so that verse has more going for it than the other verse which is more like yeah the chains are roars the forest fall i'm sorry i mean <laughs> th th this song 
this song has something going for it musically that kind of obfuscates the problem, if you will. But then you have the acoustic version. It's more, <laughs> you're more standing there without trousers. You're being found out. So, uh, I don't know. I, uh, I definitely think the music helps with the... Um, the lack, shall I say, of, of something more concrete as far as the lyrics go. And, uh, you know, I, I think of this as a great song. But as far as if you line up all the lyrics on this album, I think this is the one that falls short. And uh, it falls a little into the thing with many examples and not painting a, a huger picture. Kind of like we, we mentioned for some of the earlier songs. And But the random examples here are all over the place. It's like every... You know, one line can have two different examples and onto something else the next one. It's just, uh, that's how it strikes. So so I think the lyrics is what lets it down. I think the music pretty much saves all of that. And I think uh, the repetitiveness of the chorus is less of a problem than uh, that you probably assumed, I would think. I think that works simply because the music gives it that hypnotic tribal feel. But I'm glad they knocked off some of that for the live performances. I think that would have been probably too much, even for the yeah crowd. <laughs> nice. So where do you rank it? I rank this as number nine. Number nine. So that's right. a huge gap. I don't think it's theoretically possible for us to have larger gaps with the rest. I don't think it is either. No. It's our biggest gap. Shall I challenge you to a duel now or later? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Tom falls, Ozone crumbles, nose bleeds. <laughs> uh, nice. So where do you think the public opinion is on all go together? Number four. Uh, it'll surprise you that both of us are more positive to this song than the public. Really? Yeah, including wow. me. The public has this as number ten. Man, public. <laughs> no, so... Uh, they have, I mean, as usual, this song gets votes from all over the place. Two people rated it number one. Seven people rated it number 12. And you have votes all in between. The average being sh just above a straight eight on the album, 7.85. So that's uh, that's all go together. It doesn't seem to be a, a public favorite. But then okay, again, interesting. number 10 probably still isn't uh, in the red for this album. It, it is a, there is a high bar. So that's that one. Very and, cool. You will all go together, people who voted that so low. You will all go by yourselves, actually. Hi, Tom and Svine. This is Nick Garkovich from the UK. I really enjoyed your Buffalo Skinner's Roundtable episode. It was good to hear the perspective of a younger fan of the band from Kara. And falling into that bracket myself, being 22, I've been inspired to share my own take on the album. I don't think much more needs to be said about the hard-edged sound of this album. I totally agree with the comments made in the discussion episode. The only thing I'd note is the incredible quality of the demos on Rarities 8. I don't know if it's just the fact that they sound slightly less polished that suits the heavy style of the album, but I definitely prefer a couple of them over the album versions, particularly Winding Wind with that whole different chorus section, which I think goes much better. My favourite song, without a shadow of a doubt, is Seven Waves. It's a really powerful song. I love those Bruce Watson guitar riffs. It's a very Bruce song, if that makes sense. And personally, I love it when the other band members' influence shines through on a song like that. And of course we have Tony's big contributions to Chester's Farm and Setting of America, also on this album. Seven Waves used to be the song 
when I was back in school that I would get my friends to listen to to try and get them interested in Big Country, mainly because I think it's a very accessible song and would have worked great as a single in that regard. Um, the other highlights on the album for me include Tony's bass riff during the verses of Pink Marshmallow Moon, and in fact the whole beat of that song was just really funky all the way through. Definitely one of the best moments musically for me. Long Way Home is another great song, and it contains my favourite lines from the album, which is in that section that starts half a million Nixon babies, some with toys and some with rabies. I don't know 100% the meaning of those lines, but it's the venom with which Stuart sings them. It's just an awesome moment. You can't help but shout those lines out when they come on. Amongst the whole catalogue, this album would probably rank about fourth for me, just behind the first three albums. Sometimes just nudging ahead of this year for me, in fact. I think it's a very solid album, The Buffalo Skinners. There's no real weak links like One Great Thing or Leap of Faith or whatever, but also no absolutely killer songs that would be in my top 20 or so big country songs. Possibly because the album lacks an emotional punch. There's no Just a Shadow or anything of that sort. Rather, it's a heavy guitar album for rocking out to, which is fine as it's nice to have some variety when you come to listen to the big country catalogue. Okay, that's enough from me. Looking forward to hearing the deep dives, and keep up the good work, guys. How about you? Hello, Tom. It's fine. It's um, Mark Donwillows here. As uh, requested, I'm leaving a speak pipe about the Buffalo Skinners. Um, just before I start, I did mention this on the, the Facebook page, but if anybody hasn't heard the um, rarities, the demo versions of some of the tracks, particularly Winding Wind, um, Chester's Farm, and there are others on, I think it's Rarities 8, I would recommend, seriously recommend people get hold of that. I mean, it might cost you $100,000 these days just for a, for a CD. I don't know how much they're going for, but... Really, really. I mean, some of those versions, the arrangements, and especially the singing, Stuart singing on them, um, I think outstrip the the Buffalo Skinner's album version. Anyway, I was just thinking about what to say about Buffalo Skinner's, and my clearest memory of all of it, I mean, I was, when it came out, um, or rather when the Alone single came out, I was at university, I was at college, um, and... I remember one night we used to sort of sit around in each other's rooms and, um, you know, have a chat, put some CDs on. I remember one evening we were sitting there and I had some friends there who d- took their music quite seriously. There was there was one girl I remember who um, was a huge Guns N' Roses fan, but, you know, each to their own. Um, <laughs> there was also somebody else there who, who was a huge fan of um, Ministry, if you remember them. So, you know, the heavier end of things, really. And... I just put the, I'd managed to get the first CD one of the Alone CD single, um, put that on. And, you know, usually it was just background music. I mean, but halfway through the song, someone in the room said, oh, listen to this. Who's this? This is really good. Turn it up. So sort I think of we all sort of required. I said, yeah, it's pretty good. And I just got it. I thought this is fabulous. Um, so, of course, we listened to that. And then they said, who is it? And I said, well, this is a big country. This is the band I'm always saying I like. Um, but up until then, no place like home, peace in our time. You had to sort of, I always felt like you had to explain, well, this is the album after that one, and the don't always sound like this, and it's a bit this, and it's a bit that. Um, but it was just all there, wasn't it? It was just sort of, yeah, this is the sound, absolutely brilliant. And of course, that single, we, I put chants on, and some people said, oh, I remember this, this is a, this is a cracking version, this sort of live version. Um, East World, you know, that, I love that song personally. Um, that was great. And then, of course, Rocking in the Free World and all these guitar 
music fans would just go, that's absolutely amazing. So I think there were some um, converts that night, that's all I'll say. I, I just remember that really clearly, for the first time in ages, just being able to sort of simply say, this is big country, isn't it brilliant? It was sort of turned up to 11, here we go, fantastic rock music, you know. Um, and it just felt like a while since I'd had that. Um, anyway, I'm running out of time. I'm going to go. Good luck for the podcast. See everyone soon. Bye-bye. that brings us to Winding Wind. This is a huge change of pace for this album. And this song stands out in a lot of ways. And I know that opinions are more than a little split on this track. And with that, I mean, a lot of people don't seem to like it. Uh, this is not an out-and-out -out rock song, like so many others on the album. This is one that is a more reflective type of song and a bit more laid back. And uh, I just feel it's so important to have a song like that on, on the album. And then then you can see how, how good is this song for that category and for that type of song. Uh, have a couple of comments on it, where Bruce says in the liner notes to the album, this piece was actually written and routined in the studio, so it wasn't rehearsed enough, and I think it kind of suffered because of this. Whereas Tony, and I've already read his comments, but just to, to rehash, Winding Wind took me by surprise as well. I really got into it about halfway through, but it sounded like loads of ideas welded together. So it really sounds like uh, the members of the band are a little less enthusiastic about this one than uh, a lot of the others. They are a little more lukewarm. So that's, that's kind of interesting. If they had been talking about the demo, I would definitely have seen some of their points about this song being under-rehearsed and containing too many ideas stuck together, because that's how the demo always uh, struck me. It has more parts than the final version, and all these parts do not gel as well together. And uh, a lot of changes actually happen between the demo and the album version, and we haven't really mentioned too many of the demos that you find on uh, rarities and, and various things. Uh, for me, that's primarily because the demos are so similar to the, the album version. They're, it almost makes no point in comparing them because it's like, yeah, they kept this part and they maintained that on the album version. Uh, as an overall point, I just think the album version has more energy and definitely has the right feel. Um, this song has more pronounced uh, differences, so it makes more sense to look at this one. And uh, overall, I believe all the changes they did are for the betterment of the song, at least to my ears. It, the, the finished version sounds more complete. Uh, it's a more basic version, the album version. It has more a melody and message that stands on its own feet without the elaborate arrangements and guitar parts that a lot of the album has. And, and it's a great breather for me. So uh, what is different on the demo? For one thing, the intro is twice as long. They, they cut that to a more perfect length before they launch into the song.
There's a bridge in this song that is used twice. That's just used once on the album version. The part where they go and some may change the world and etc. Yeah. That that is used twice on the demo. I think that is once too much. One once is perfect on the album version, I think. So that was a good another good choice. Well that's oh. the odd thing about that demo is that I always viewed that as the chorus. Like he thought that was the chorus in the demo and then he changed Exa- it. Exactly, because I feel, almost feel like the demo doesn't have a chorus. It uses the bridge as a chorus, or if that is the chorus, then definitely they got a stronger chorus for the album. So I'm glad with that change, and it's much better as a bridge than a chorus, I think. Yeah, that yeah. section. That bridge also has an extra part. Which, uh, which, with some lyrics, and those are always interesting where, where lyrics are removed and what would they have moved. And in the demo, he sings. In my opinion, that doesn't really lose a lot losing those lyrics it, it's kind of redundant with other things he sings uh, we'll look at that uh, in a little bit but also i think the final verse is uh, extra long or if it's two verses in a row one is missing so there, there are little structurally tweaks here and there that i think they addressed so uh, it does seem like to me <laughs> comparing the differences here that they did spend some time and did do some changes but uh, they were probably rushed for time and uh, sometimes you will remember that feeling of being rushed more than you remember the results. I know that uh, I recognize that from whenever I'm rushed for something and, and create something and put something out. And I feel like, oh, I didn't have the time. But actually, you did it or you, you made it. I, I don't have any complaints about the finished version here. But I'll start with the finished version's lyrics. I think lyrically, this song has some of the best moments on the album, almost as abstract and mythic as the best ones from the early days. At the same time though, there is a context within this album of either talking about big politics or relationships, and this song is firmly in the relationship camp. But it's different from some of the others. This is not a song where I feel someone is talking about stuff that's going on now. This is a song which is looking back, without regret really, at a key point in his life, when he first met someone anyone in his life uh, I don't know if they fell in love or certainly they, they fell into a fascination with each other and they were ready to take a chance but it fizzled out it all blew away on the winding wind and I think the winding wind this is obviously the big metaphor in the song which is used throughout when he sings the part oh winding wind he's not blaming it he's not cursing it he's not shaking a fist at it and saying damn you wind he's taking a philosophical view that the things that are meant to last will last and if it's not weighty enough it will be blown away by the winding wind so the things that are meant to last to have that solid anchor will not be blown away only the lightweight things including relationship that may seem heavy but really aren't will fall prey to the winding wind so let's look at some of the things the song actually says and i, I think some of this it just feels it they feel so good. I, I lived a thousand years in someone else's shoes. I lived a thousand lives with someone else's blues. I talked so many nights with voices I don't know. Wore someone else's face and hoped it didn't show. This is where he introduced himself as someone who's lived a life. He's not a young man any longer. Uh, 
he has lived all these years. When you are young and brash, you will say anything to impress someone you have feelings for, and you may speak in a voice that you quote-unquote don't know, or a face that's not yours. You don't, you don't dare to be the true you. You put on a front. And he touched on some of the same things on the next album in the song I'm Not Ashamed, where he said, we all make our plans, we all have our choices, try on different faces, talk in other voices. So again, this is a thing he comes back to. And in that song, the context is more definitely about his own situation. Uh, that That is a relationship song. That is a Sandra song. I'm not sure if this is a Sandra song uh, so much. I think the context here is definitely more abstract, if you will. I don't know if it's necessarily autobiographical. It, it can be. But uh, it's it's definitely taking a very distant view from things, which is very opposite to other relationship songs on this album. And he goes on with... I think that is a great line because when you are young you make a lot of brash promises and commitments but you're often unable to think beyond the now you cannot think a year ahead or five and th these promises aren't based in reality you don't have the world weariness to base them on anything beyond the now so we have promised all the things we know will never be it says a lot about this song and uh, of course it ends as it has to I waited far too long out on the winding wind, dreaming and hoping as the world would dawn, it would blow away my sins. Don't trust the wind to blow away the bad stuff. Trust the wind to blow away all the fluff, so it won't blow away your sins. It, things won't just be washed away. Um, the things that aren't weighty will be washed away. And I'll go into the bridge we talked about, or the would-be chorus of the demo. Basically, some people make it, some people don't, and some choose to hide from it all, almost hoping for a divine intervention. But it's, it's really how it is, and you never know whether you'll be part of those who actually make it, or change the world, or lose your way. And that's a again, out on the winding wind, the, the things that are meant to last, or meant to be, will last. And that's because you make them so, and you anchor them in something solid. So that brings me to some giant lines for me on this album. just awesome it gives me chills and uh, explaining the giant men is uh, i don't want to get too much into that because that's clearly a more abstract allegory but what i get from it is primarily someone saying i know i'm not the greatest guy in the world but i'm okay with that you know i can walk among these giants with peace uh primarily or presumably because i have you by my side and we are doing all these wild and crazy things together like crossing the wild frontier <laughs> what a what a great line that's like almost you're on the run it's lovely imagery you go for it together you almost make a run for it there's no turning back it's dramatic imagery but it doesn't last long this is a moment song 
It, it describes moments in their lives, and when they are ready to make that huge commitment, um, they, 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 they try for it, but the song doesn't reflect on a life together. It describes that moment of talking, that moment of falling for each other, that moment of being ready to go for it big time. But it wasn't a weighty thing. It didn't survive being exposed to the winding wind. It blew away. So the guy, again, he seems at peace with that. He sings... Again, oh, winding wind, as if he knows it needs to mean more than that for it to last. And you don't blame the winding wind. You realize yourself that it needs to be a more solid commitment or a more solid foundation, which is uh, something, again, he touched on in uh, I'm Not Ashamed. He talks about building a house of cards in a place where the wind has always blown. A little house is where the wind has always blown. A little garden on a bed of sand and stones. It's the same thing. So this song, and I'm not ashamed, has more links. I just see the red thread here, which is something uh, you can see in Stuart's things. He would revisit themes that were important to him. Again, unlike other relationship songs on this album, I don't think this is a song about the relationship with Sandra. I, I just don't. The clue seemed to be in the chorus when he sings, it's about the things that might have been. This is a song sung by someone who really is at peace with that. There are no regrets. That might have been. I'm, I'm thinking back now, much older, but it's okay. It didn't happen. But man, for a while, we, we thought we were going for it, weren't we? So the song looks back at all the things that might have been, but were blown away. So clearly the wind blowing away, that which isn't meant to last, is something that uh, is, a, is a topic for him. And that's a lot about the lyrics. I'm going to touch briefly on, on some music, because the... This is uh, a more laid-back song. You won't have the most virtuoso moments on the album in this song. But it's a beautiful melody. It really underpins the romantic side of this song, because this song is romantic. It didn't end with a huge romance, but that's different from romantic in, in, in a greater sense. I just love the lead guitar line across the verse, which is, I guess, a little more pronounced in the demo, but, but they kept it, which is, is beautiful. I like it when they add touches that kind of add to the romantic aspects of this song, like the whoa, 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 that goes before one of the choruses, and then they keep that in the background throughout the chorus, which kind of adds to the more the wistful side of the of the song. And uh, one thing you don't uh, expect from a song like this, which is more laid back, is tremendous drum fills by Simon. I mean, <laughs> for a song that really is thought of as a break or more melodic pace and not that intense, this song, as you get into it, it really builds an incredible intensity. And he has some drum fills that 
I started oh. thinking of him. My gosh, Simon, this is this is supposed to be a led back, almost romantic type song. And here we go. <laughs> he that one that leads up. into the last chorus, especially. Yeah. It's like, it's oh my gosh. like this double kick roll fill thing that's just so fast. But it fits because the song has some intensity at that point. And uh, I guess they can't help themselves because this is the album where they were let loose and it was the mood in the studio. But uh, overall, definitely, this is a quieter song. It's more reflective. It's uh, I just think it's beautiful song, beautiful melody. And uh, what weighty words. I mean, of all the words on the album, this probably speaks to me the most because I, as, as CJ found out when we did the covers uh, discussion, I am a big softie at heart. And this is a softie song and I... I think it's gorgeous, and I think some of the lyrics are, they harken back to, to a style that he wouldn't visit too many times after this. Mm-hmm. So so for me, this is a huge song on the album, and uh, I, I have a sense it's not for you. No, it's it's not, but my, my feelings on this song, uh, it's, I have to say that they mirror the band members and their comments. I, there are parts of this song that I think are just utter brilliance, and then there are parts that I just don't think work. And I, I just, from a musical standpoint and a couple from a lyrical standpoint too, I'll mention those. Um, let's get to the brilliant parts in my estimation. And that is all the way through the song up until the first chorus, I think is absolutely brilliant. Great classic big country. Um, I remember the first time I heard the opening of this song and that guitar line that starts it. I just, the ch- the chills started immediately because that, that is a classic Stuart Adamson type of guitar part. I mean, it kind of takes me back to the to the break in the song "The Crossing" a little bit. It's it's just like da 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 da. If if you play guitar too, you and play like a lot of their songs or listen to them you, it's like a it's like a part and a way a way to play that's in a lot of the older big country songs so when i heard that yeah, i immediately was taken right back to the old big country um then you go into the verse which is just a, a again classic big country verse i mean from the from the melody to as you mentioned these little lead parts that are going on underneath the melody of the verse um, and to the to the words themselves, um, this song is less straightforward than a lot of the other songs on this album. It, it has it has more of those abstract moments in it, um, you know, like the giant men and, and other things. I, I, again, I remember reading that in the lyric sheet before I heard the song and, and, and getting chills just hearing that line because I knew that was a the classic uh, big country line, the kind that I loved about them uh, that Stewart would, would write when he would write about these big themes, um, almost otherworldly type of themes and, and sounds. And I never liked it as much when Stewart would go into the more familiar, uh, maybe mundane verbiage that he would use in some of his lyrics. And sometimes he did that on this album, but you don't get that as much in, in this song. Um, you, you've got that sense of of vastness and this 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 bigness to it, um, but for me, where the song falls apart is in the chorus. I I never liked that chorus, and I never really liked that bridge. Um, 
lyrically, I think the the lyrics to the chorus are are fine. They're good. Um, you know, everybody's got a soul to sell. Everybody got a tale to tell all about the things that might have been blown away on the winding wind. It, it's that's fine, but for some reason, the music to that portion of the song just never clicked for me. It almost fe- it, it kind of takes me back to my criticism of Alone and the chorus of Alone. There's something about this chorus that is similar to me for the chorus of Alone in that it it just suddenly it feels kind of plodding and it's like the song is just lurching along a little bit too much for me in that. And and it's it's really more from a much more from a musical perspective than it is from a lyrical perspective. Um it's interesting you bring up the demo because I was listening to that quite a bit this week. They, I think they definitely made improvements on it uh, from the demo because the demo does not even have this chorus in it at all. And as we said, the demo takes what's become the bridge for this song and puts that in the song as if it's the chorus. And that certainly didn't work as a chorus in the demo, in my opinion. And then it goes from there, it goes into that extraneous part that you mentioned that's not in the final version that has like all of a sudden it reverts to like a major key type of thing. And it just it the chorus ends on this like major, more positive note that just does not work. And so they did they did well in, in dissecting that from the piece and coming up with a new chorus. But for me, it, it just makes the song too unwieldy. I mean, it's like you get you get the verse and you go into the oh winding wind part, which is great. And then you go into the next verse, you go into the oh winding wind part. And the oh winding wind is almost like uh it's not really strong enough to stand on its own as a chorus, but I almost wish that they had let it stand on its own as a chorus or or come up with some other type of chorus. I don't know what it would have been, but just musically come up with something else. Because after you when you finally get to the chorus, it's like well into the song already. And I don't want to like jump on quote unquote rules of songwriting or whatever, because who cares? I mean, if, if a song is good and doesn't follow the the traditional structure of a song, then who cares about whether someone thinks a chorus should be here or not? But in this case, I think it it does affect the quality of the song for me because it takes so long to get to that chorus. And then in what's also kind of strange from a songwriting perspective, usually you repeat a chorus at least a couple of times before you jump into a bridge. But this song, the bridge hits immediately after the first chorus, and it's like, Almost suddenly the song has taken this turn for me musically that I just uh, I, I find it kind of weak, to be honest with you. I, I, I find it weak musically in that portion and and also weak lyrically in the bridge. And it's got the bridge lyrics have this thing that that just really take points away from me um, that I just can't stand in, in lyric writing. And that is when you rhyme one word with the same word and he might skip through this on a technicality, but he says, I hear them talking deep in the night, wondering if they will make it tonight. That line, those two lines always struck me as just not good lyric writing because it's like you're rhyming night with tonight. And granted, technically, they're not the same word, but basically they're the same word. And I just always thought, come on, you couldn't, you, you had to have come up with something better than that. I mean, it just seemed like a, 
a throwaway line or, or like a line that he wrote really quickly to try to get the song finished. But then again, it's also in the demo. So maybe he, so I would assume he did have time to maybe finish it. Um, it's, it's interesting that Bruce says that they kind of wrote and rehearsed the song in the studio as they were writing it. Um, so maybe, maybe it was one of those tunes that, uh, was put together quickly, but I really think that, you know, maybe a couple of the B sides would have maybe been better candidates for this song because I just don't feel like it's a, I don't feel like it's a finished song structurally. It's like, it feels like they're still working with it and trying to figure it out. Um, I don't, I don't regret that it's on the album because as I say, there are moments on this album or moments on this song that I think are just absolute perfection. And I already said that probably my favorite moment on this album, it's either this or the guitar break and selling of America is in this song when he gives the, uh, he gives the ha hat trick, three ha's repeated um, successively. In what is that over top of what I what I already said is one, like just that classic Stuart guitar line. I, I, I would I would not, I don't regret the song on being on the album for a lot of reasons, but that if it was just that reason, that would be enough to warrant its inclusion for me because I love that part so much. Um, and it's not like I I hate the chorus or hate the bridge, but I just I just find that they're so much weaker than um, the other parts leading up to it. It was a big letdown for me because because those parts to me were leading into what could have been just an all-time classic big country song and it just it didn't quite live up to it. It did. Uh, it led into what might have been blown away on the way. Yeah, you're right. It fits very well with that. Yes. Uh, it never struck me that way, but it's, uh, it's interesting because uh, one of the comments was that the song sounded like different parts welded together and you seem yeah. to support that view. I do feel that way. I do feel that way. Uh, it's, or, or if not different parts welded together, it's like maybe parts that don't necessarily have strong connecting pieces because oh. I really, I really wanted the song to go. And again, I can't really articulate what direction that was, but I wanted it to go in some different direction. After the old the classic Celtic epic feel. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe not even that. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with the, the way the song sounds and the tone of it. It is a very contemplative song, and I, I'm fine with that. I don't necessarily need it to kick into like a giant anthem all of a sudden. Wouldn't hurt. But, well, no. <laughs> but um, I get what you're saying. I'm just messing with you. Yeah, I, I did want to mention one thing, though, too, about that demo is that there's also another verse in that demo that I think is interesting they cut out. Now, I don't think it's a very strong line, and maybe that's the only reason they cut it, but it's also kind of an interesting line. And I, I listened to it a few times, and I think I've got what he says here. I feel pretty confident in it. And he says, um, it, this this comes after the giant men at peace among their feet. We will cross the wild frontier, not ever to retreat. Again, a great line, great way to end the the verses of the song. And that's the way the final version ends, to, really. It goes back to the choruses again after that. And that's, a, that's it ends on a great note. But in the demo, he adds another verse. And that the lines of that are, I dream them all away again, the same way as before, but you have sent them all away and bolted up the door. Oh, I think it was I gave it all the way back then. I I heard dream, but it, it could be gave. Who knows? I have to go back sure. and listen to it a few times. But either way, you know, it's like 
it's the same kind of uh, kind of feel either way. But th- those two lines, I-, I wonder what they mean. I wonder why they were cut. I mean, I feel like it's good that they were cut because they don't, they're not necessary and they're nowhere nearly as near as strong as the as the line that it does end on. So maybe it was maybe it was just that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I could have made sense of those or, or felt that they, they fitted. It seems like they are about something specific, whereas the rest could be yeah. seen as a more philosophical thing. And see, I, yeah, and see, I almost took that, those lines as maybe that was like a reference to Sandra or to someone specific, as you say, because it almost sounds like that. It's like almost like a got a vindictive feel to it. Um, mm. But I don't know. You know, it's just it's just speculating. But the one thing I'll say about the the giant men line, and you had an inter- interesting uh, take on it, because I've always struggled with that a little bit. Because as much as I love that line, it seems kind of odd to me and almost out of place in the song. Because it's like the whole song seems to me about uh, you know losing your opportunity and and confidence eroding and not uh, making good on potential and that kind of thing. And then suddenly we've got this uplifting portion where yeah it's like you know, forget all that i'm walking at peace and we're never going to retreat and I, that always as good of a line as it is and i like i like it um it always just struck me as at odds with the rest of the song and i always had a, t- a tough time kind of uh you know making those two portions of the song fit together it's it's odd but you had an interesting take on it and maybe it's just a matter of finding some kind of uh not necessarily happy peace, but just hmm. happy peace. I don't know. <laughs> but and when he says we will cross the wild frontiers, like is he talking about the we that he's referencing the person that he's referencing in the earlier part of the song, or is the we him and the giant men and leaving the other person behind at that point? So that's that's kind of an interesting thing to think about with the song too. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I mean, I, I think it's a I think it's a song that um, is probably the most un, the one song on this album that feels to me kind of like unfinished it's it's got moments of brilliance parts that are brilliant and then other parts to me that i think are really a lot lower on the on the quality scale um but it, it's an interesting tune that's for sure I, I i will go back and listen to it quite a bit but um mainly for those moments that i've talked about right yeah for me it's a complete piece yeah you're a complete so, piece yeah definitely <laughs> no i so let's let's try and and rank this thing uh it's uh, number six for me. Number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine. <laughs> Thank you, Yoko. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry, was that racist? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was Yokoist. Okay, that's good. I don't mind being that. All right, so where do you think the People's Jury have this? I don't think it's, it's that high. I, maybe I'll be surprised, but... Let me let me take a stab at number eight. Yeah, they agree with you. They have it at number nine. Ah, interesting. The interesting thing is it did have two number ones. It also had seven number twelves. There's plenty of people who don't uh, care for this song, evidently. But uh, as usual, you find it all over the place. And uh, number yeah. nine is the overall ranking. So, Hey, shout out to our friend Mark Dunwillows, because... On our Twitter page, uh, he mentioned that this was his favorite by a long stretch. So he's one, he's one of the of two, and the, yeah. other one, and the other one is Bunny. Okay, excellent. So there you have it, Mark and Bunny, unified by this song. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Wonderful, and uh, I definitely love this song. It's, it's a great song. Everybody. 
My name is Cormac and I live in Manchester, but I'm originally from Ireland. Um, I want to drop a speak pipe because I don't do Facebook, so I don't get involved in the Facebook chat, but I'm a massive, massive big country fan and a massive fan of your podcast. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Buffalo Skinners. So glad you're covering this album in detail alongside Steel Town and The Crossing. I think it's my favourite big country album. Hard to find a weak spot in the whole LP start to finish. When you're in a mood where you're a little bit down and you want some aggression to get out, this album is perfect. When you're driving, it's perfect. It's just a massive gut punch, full-on rock experience. And following the No Place I Come album, which preceded it, so nice to hear the loud guitars come back out. Uh, when I went to see the band in Dublin on this tour at a midnight gig in the Olympia Theatre, it was, I think, the best I've ever seen Big Country. And I was lucky enough to see them uh, probably eight or nine times, uh, including uh, Post Stewart. And they rocked so hard. Those matching yellow guitars with the big and the country and the little Take Me to the Bridge and guitar. And Stewart's playing around this time was absolutely insanely good. Uh, I think the age described as playing is vicious and it's a very apt description when you hear some of his uh, lead playing throughout the album and the live tours that followed. He was absolutely on fire. Uh, some of the songs that really stand out, the one I love, why it wasn't the lead-off single, as you guys point out, I do not know. Beautifully produced song, catchy, uh, classic big country. The retake on Kansas, can a song rock harder? I don't know. Ships, I'll be honest, I prefer the No Place Like Home version, uh, just because it's a, a real nice change of tempo for the band, but this version rocks hard as well. One song I'm not so crazy about is Winding Wind. Uh, I think that, along with The Teacher from the Sear album, are two big country songs you could say hand on heart, not massively keen on. Um, some other thoughts from around this time. A couple of years after, um, I went to see them in Dublin. I'd moved to Glasgow, in part because I wanted to see the band play The Bars, which I was able to do. Uh, but I went to over to Nunfermline to see uh, Bruce Watson play a gig there, and I got the chance to speak to him. And he'd remembered that Dublin show and commented about how great a show it had been as well. Uh, although I don't think he liked it quite so much when I asked him what he was doing with his hair on the Peace in Our Time album. He uh, gave me a rather short, hair's hair man reply. But hey, he's a rock star. I'm not. He's right. I'm wrong. Anyway, that's about it. just want to say thanks again for the podcasts. Uh, keep, keep them up. Uh, stay alive, guys. And sha! Sha! All right, Pink Marshmallow Moon. This is kind of uh, a song that, on the roundtable discussion, some of the people thought would have been a would have been a nice album closer, and I can see that. Although I have to say that when we get to Chester's Farm, which will be next, um, I can see the the reasons for making that the album closer as well. But this one would have been kind of a nice way to close it in a sense as well. At least just the feel of it. It has a nice sort of closing type of feel. Um, but this is another relationship song that we've got on the Buffalo Skinners. It's the last relationship song on the album. And I think it's actually a good choice for the last relationship song on the album. I, I don't know if, in fact, I'm pretty sure that Stuart was not thinking chronologically. Who knows? Maybe he was, but I don't think he was putting these songs in any particular order based on the content. 
I think it was just a matter of what song worked best. Yeah, it's not a concept album. Right, exactly. So you could you could kind of take these stories and each of these relationship songs and and see how things are progressing. And it really doesn't go in any sort of chronological order, but it, it, it does offer interesting glimpses, I think, into different periods of what it must be like to have a relationship uh, crumbling apart. And again, we don't want to always throw it back to Stuart's personal relationship with his wife. But at the same time, you sort of have to because you know that he was writing these songs with these things in mind. You know that he was going through this at the time. And he was always one to write about these types of deeply personal things and try to express them in ways that may have been a little more general that people could relate to. But at the same time, it's pretty impossible to to completely divorce the two, no pun intended, um, from each other. So anyway, this, I think, though, when I say that this is a good choice or a good um, relationship song to kind of end the cycle that we've been having on this album, the reason I say that is because the lyrics for this always struck me as someone who is just tired of fighting. It's like they're, they're just sick of the fight. They're sick of the the constant arguments that we've seen throughout this album, starting with Seven Waves, and well, starting with Alone, really, but then going through Seven Waves and The One I Love. I mean, we've gone through so many different periods in this deteriorating relationship, whether it's feeling completely alone or feeling bitter toward the person, feeling angry. And and now now in Pink Marshmallow Moon, we've got a, we've got a point in this ongoing battle where it seems to me like this the singer the protagonist is just tired of it he's just tired of sing of fighting and the opening lines really express that There's there's a confirmation here that a war has been happening between these two people, and we've seen that throughout this album. And it's kind of an interesting little romanticized song, um, kind of conjuring this romantic notion of what the singer had in mind for the two of them, maybe from the beginning, and what he wants it to be again. And what's interesting, though, about this song, and that there's always that kind of dark shading to a lot of Stewart songs. Um, very rarely do you find one that's just completely upbeat and positive and you take at face value. Um, maybe like one great thing would be one of those, but the, most of them are not. And this is another one that I think, even though there are a lot of romantic notions that are put forth in this song about a, a relationship ending in a nice way and, and ending in a, in a riding off into the sunset type of way, as he says in the second verse, even though there is a lot of that, there's this undercurrent to me of this will never be. And it's it's almost kind of, it, it's almost as if the singer is tired of fighting, as I said, but that tired of fighting in sort of a, a bad way. Like, And what I mean by that is when you have a fight, when you have a big ongoing disagreement or a problem, you have to work through it. You have to figure out why you're fighting. You have to figure out what you can do to overcome it how you can compromise, et cetera, et cetera. Some people 
just get to a point where they, they don't even want to deal with that anymore. And they just want to make it all go away. They just want to say, just make it go away. Forget about it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to talk about it. And I'm sure everybody has dealt with people like that in their life who just don't like conflict and don't like to have these kind of problems and their, their reaction eventually they just get overwhelmed by trying to actually deal with the reality of it. And they just say, they just try to push it all away and think of some idyllic, um, ideal romanticized ideal of what things should be. And that's kind of the way I look at this song. It's like Stuart is almost just, it, it's not like he's really facing the problems. He's just kind of pushing them away and let's forget about it. Look what we could be. Look what we started out as being. Let's, let's just be this again. Let's be at peace. Uh, before the summer fair, let's go on the road to Monterey and ride the length of Highway One, silhouettes against the sun, and these romanticized lines of "You can be my surfer queen, I will be your football team, we can build a love machine." But then that that last line of that verse is kind of telling too. He says, "At least you let me dream." I mean, it's it's not. It, it, I don't get the feeling in this that this is necessarily a dream or a romanticized notion of the relationship that's necessarily shared by the other person and there's no way to know that for sure but that's kind of what i take from it um and then you've got that that repeating chorus which i think is a great uh bit of lyric writing as is the entire song but very simple but very uh very powerful we'll live tomorrow girl today has come too soon we'll live tomorrow girl beneath the pink marshmallow moon and i'm not completely sure what the relevance of the pink marshmallow moon is um but clearly it's some sort of romantic view of a peaceful moon. And he mentioned summer at, at some point earlier in the song. So you could think of it as a, in the summertime and just this beautiful uh, pink moon. And it's got a marshmallowy feel to it. And it conjures these ideas of peace and love and relaxation. But the we'll live tomorrow, girl, it kind of underscores my idea of him just kind of pushing the problems away. He's just like, okay, we've got these problems right now, but tomorrow it's going to be fine. It, it almost reminds me of one of my favorite lines from uh, a cartoon. It's from a Popeye cartoon. And uh, the character Wimpy used to love hamburgers. And he would always say, I'll gladly pay you tomorrow for a hamburger today. And I always thought that was hilarious. And I, I think it was actually for a hamburger Tuesday or something. But I think hamburger today is funnier. But it, it this line kind of takes me back to that. It's like, Let's let's think about tomorrow. Let's think about what we should be and and not deal with what's happening now. So that I kind of get that feeling through the song um, of someone who is just tired of fighting, tired of the battles that these two are having and just desperately wants things to be like they used to be. And while it makes for a really romantic notion in a song, it in reality, that's not a very a very good way to go about solving issues. So. Again, this is just my interpretation. I don't know if Stuart was, I don't know what Stuart was thinking when he was writing this, obviously, but um, it's just the way that I read into it. Um, I think one of the one of the most telling verses, though, and, and one that's kind of difficult for me, I, I'll be interested in what you have to say about this one. Um, one of the most difficult verses for me to figure out is the final one, where he says, We could find a secret room somewhere in the house I'm Like, who is this lost and lonely man with his lost and lonely plan? When, when he says we could find a secret room somewhere in the house of gloom, I kind of take that to mean 
in this home where there's so much turmoil and distress, we could find this maybe secret place that we can escape this. We can find something that takes us back to, to what we used to be, something that still remains here that's being uh, obscured at the moment, but something that still remains that has our power in it, our original power as a couple. And and then he says, meet the lost and lonely man. He will say what I said then, you have loved and will again, even though the gift of rain is destined to remain. Great, great lyrics, great lines, and a little a little um, difficult to discern in some ways. I, c- I could almost take it that maybe the lost and lonely man is, is him, uh, is Stuart himself, maybe like a past version of himself mm-hmm. um especially I think, when he's... I think it's him too and i'll talk more about that okay good i, I won't go, say too much more about it but just he will say what i said then you have loved and will again it's kind of again him going back to let's make it what it used to be and th- although the interesting thing about that line when he says you you have loved and will again you could take that as as if he's saying that to the two of them you both have been in love you both will be in love again or you could take that as that cliched thing that people say to someone individually at the end of a relationship when they say, well, you were in love with this person. It's ending now, but don't worry, you'll fall in love with someone else again down the road. Um, I don't particularly take it that way in this song. I, I think it's more geared toward the couple again, but it could be taken in a variety of different ways, which is a great thing about Stewart's lyric writing. And, and so much of it has that that aspect where you can just dissect it so much as we so often do. Um, but I really love that last part of the verse too, where he says, even though the gift of rain is destined to remain, that that's a beautiful line. And it's, I think what that line means to me is that often we go through these issues that we say inevitably make us stronger. And the issues might've been really difficult at the time. They might've even scarred us, but the scars even though they're always there and we look back on them and remember the problems that we had, they're almost a gift because whatever the circumstances that happened that led to those scars actually made us stronger. And I get the feeling that the singer is saying that here in the song that we're going through this rainy patch right now, but it's only going to draw us closer together. And we'll always remember what we've been through here when we are back together stronger than ever. Mm riding the length of highway one, you know, our silhouettes into the sun. So yeah, I really love those lines of the gift of rain. And, I, you know, to me, uh, that I think of it more as a throwback to a rain dance, perhaps, where he said, you will know it's time for the rains to come and you must help me through. Mm. And in that song, the rain was a cooling factor. It, he cools it all down when the rain comes. And he says the gift of rain. It's uh, not necessarily just rain equals depression. It's more like rain equals the soil gets nourishment and it grows. But I think it's both ways here. I think uh, the gift of rain destined to remain means there might be troubles. You know, we're not going to get all rid of it. But uh, interesting. Yeah. E- even so, we, we have loved and will again. And I can't promise you a problem free future, but uh, hopefully there is a future. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Great way to look at it. Yeah. And I mean, that's pretty much all I have to say about it lyrically. And, and I'm sure you'll have a lot to say about it, too, when you get to it. But it, it's a great relationship song. And it, it's the, the lyrics are just beautiful. They're, they're so, um, so romantic and so rich. And the imagery is so is so mm-hmm. strong in this song, and I love it. Um, so let me just talk about it musically a little bit. Uh, musically, it's definitely a welcome 
step down, I think, from what we've been used to on this album, from the assault that we've been given, which which I as I've said throughout this deep dive, I love. But I love this this kind of dialing it down just a just a notch or two. Um, I think it works fantastically. And what I also love about this song and what sets it apart musically from a lot of the others is that it's very, very simple. It's it's a very simple structure. There are really only two parts to the song. There's a verse and there's a chorus, and that's it. I mean, yeah, you do have um, some instrumental portions, but they're, the instrumental lead parts are really played over the verse chord progression. So it's not one of those Stuart songs where he's got verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, second bridge, second chorus, instrumental. You know, it's just very simple, very driving type of song. And it really, it's a very hypnotic type of beat and chord progression. Um, the way it's played always took me back a little bit to Thousand Yard Stare. It's kind of got that, dum, 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 you know, that just that little um, rhythmic pattern that goes on throughout the song. And I really love that. I love the the muted way that the uh, guitar is played mm -hmm. um, throughout the verses. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we've got slide here and a lot of slide guitar. And by this point in the band's career, um, even though I believe this is probably only the second recorded song that had slide on it, I could be wrong about that, but... I remember the first time I noticed it, obviously, that we all noticed it was Republican Party Reptile, the album that preceded this. And then we've got it here. And Rain on, Dance. Oh, of course. How could I forget that? Rain Dance. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the slide makes another appearance here, and it goes on to make an appearance in the rest of the albums. I think it's like post-nuclear talking blues. It's in that. It's on Driving to Damascus, on Fragile Thing. Um, Stuart really seemed to love the slide guitar. And uh, sometimes I, I often think that that wouldn't really fit their music but he always makes it fit and he always does a great job with it and um and the reason i say it may not fit is because i usually associate the slide guitar with like really traditional blues um almost like it was used on republican party reptile which isn't always my favorite way for big country to go but i like the way he uses it here and in songs like fragile thing too where it's not really that traditional bluesy type of slide it's just it just gives a, a new type of sound and feel to the to the to the lead parts that are welcome and refreshing. So yeah, there, there's just so many, just like every song on this album, musically, there's so many little layers and, and great little parts throughout. Um, and that slide part that kind of carries throughout the song and got a great slide solo and you've got that part at the beginning and it carries through, very melodic, very memorable. One of my favorite parts, though, of this song musically comes from Simon Phillips. And it's just an awesome little part. And I always wished that Mark had replicated it live, but he never did. And it's when um, they're coming out of kind of the breakdown section of the song where I think it's that third verse. Um, they're coming out of that third verse. And, and Simon does this just really cool little hi-hat stuff. Yeah, through. yeah. Yeah, it's so playful and it's just really, really cool.
I just love that. It's it's almost become like a real part of the song. And Mark has had some moments like that too on past songs. I, re- I remember there was a part on um, Thousand Yard Stare too where he had this little splash uh, crash symbol thing that came at a really interesting time in the song that was almost made it part of the song. And every time this song plays, I always try to mimic that, you know, air drum to that part because it's just so cool. And it's um it's so indicative of the way that they've just let Simon Phillips do whatever he wanted on this album uh, to great benefit of the album. Um, but I always wish Mark had tried to replicate that, but he didn't. I'm sure he could have. Maybe he was just like, that was great. I'm not even going to bother trying to replicate that. And I'm not going to give him the satisfaction. But uh, no, I'm sure he didn't think that way. Uh, but I love that. I love Simon's drumming throughout this song. He's got this great little shuffle groove thing happening. Um, it's just a great song. It's a, it's a great song that is incredibly catchy, incredibly memorable. You really want to sing along with it. And you can get lost and hypnotized in this song. And um, do I think it would have been a, a great album closer? I could certainly have seen it. Um, it fits in some ways, but I, it maybe doesn't quite fit lyrically as far as summing up the whole album but anyway it it would have musically i think been an interesting choice to end the album but um who knows but either way it stands as a really strong strong song on this album uh one of the better ones Mm -hmm. and for me and uh it's just a, a great tune it's again a welcome change of pace both structurally and just the intensity of the song is at a more of a mid range. So we get a nice break, and um, I think it's a classic, a classic on a classic album. It is, and it's a unique song on this album. There there are many songs on other albums that probably have a lot more in common with this song than any of the other ones on the Buffalo Skinners. But I think within there, uh, it gives something to this album that I think it would have missed. And it's not like this is the only quiet song on the album. It's, uh, you know, we certainly have Ships, but Ships is still a heavy song in terms of the lyrics. And we have songs like Winding Wind, which taps more into this, I think. And it's interesting, we have those two songs back to back in a way. But Pink Marshmallow Moon kind of has something unique about it. And uh, I think Stuart captured that well in a quote that we have from uh, from stage again in Germany, 93, where he said, mm. and I know he said this many times on that tour. I've heard this quote many times. Has anyone here ever been blindly and madly in love. This is a song about being like that. And what a great comment. It it is the first thing I'll smile about. And there's a lot of things to smile about this song, about being blindly and madly in love. How about that for a change of pace? And the, the question is if we can actually trust this quote and if the song really is like that, because we are, like we have said before, always a bit suspicious when it comes to Stuart's lyrics and what might hide behind the corner. Right. Uh, but uh, definitely, it is a break on the album, a break from the intensity. And uh, this is the first out-and-out feel-good song, really, both musically and lyrically. It just feels so good. And it's also one of my favorite big country songs of the 90s. And what touches me so deeply about this song is how out-and-out romantic it is, and especially in the context of this album. We are at the 11th song. And at this point in the album, after all the heartache and depression and misery and dreariness and despair and oh, you know, who would have thought a song like this would be coming? And this is all the more amazing to me because uh, this is like like you mentioned too. I think this is the third and final song on this album that I feel is autobiographical to the point where it could have been torn out of Stuart's diary. And um, 
it's different in that regard than the others. And uh, I see perhaps this song a little different than, than you do. We know there were issues between Stuart and Sandra, and the other songs on this album have a much bleaker outlook on that situation. And this song, too, acknowledged that there are issues and that they have a bit of a war, as the lyrics directly say. But we also have to keep in mind that the divorce that eventually happened was far from a foregone conclusion at this time. It was one possible outcome. But at the time, there were other possible outcomes, and perhaps preferable outcomes and more positive outcomes. And this song explores, and I think there's to hope about one of those more positive outcomes. So uh, what I take from the first verse, when he speaks about uh, leaving the battlefields, no arrows, no shields, uh, they clearly have been at war. They've been on these battlefields. But I, I don't see him to the point of being sick and tired of going away. I, I think he says, this is worth fighting for. The song is looking beyond that, and it dares to hope that they can leave these battlefields behind, and wonders, quite openly and honestly, could we be together again on the other side? They could both be something still, as the song says. So it offers a lot of hope and even a desire for a future together. I think I don't get the uh, being tired of everything. I think this song hopes and dreams and wants things to be uh, resolved. And even oh, I just, de I definitely see that too. I mean, I, I think he wants it to be what he wants it to be. It's not like he's giving up. But I, my feeling is that he's just so tired of the fighting he just wants it to magically be exactly like it was but he definitely wants and hopes that it's gonna gonna return to form i definitely yeah. agree with that yeah but you see a little less uh, of the uh, the optimistic yeah maybe i've just been too beat down by <laughs> Stuart's cynicism over the years it's like i can't accept it as just a feel-good song yeah i'd like to yeah and uh and like Continue i said to convince me we have learned to be suspicious about what he puts in song Right. And you should be, because uh, it's never this straightforward. But also what helps me get to this conclusion is his introduction live, when he says, have you been blindly and madly in love? And I, I'd like to think this is a guy who is mindly and, bla uh, mindly and bladly in love. <laughs> <laughs> blindly and madly in love. So uh, we'll see. Even just one verse into the song, those words are just a, such a drastic change from the other personal songs on the album. Everything from the title of the song to the music to the lyrics to the delivery and just the overall mood of the song is very nice, pink, fluffy, feel good. Uh, a big change of pace. So I'm kind of running a bit with that, obviously. Uh, it's not ferocious and driving, but it is very nice, hypnotic, still very rhythmic, but it's, uh, it's one where you can relax. You can take a, a a deep breath and, and it's not angry sad or, or downbeat lyrically either and when he says things like that again a moment that makes me smile I, I think I see the song about a couple that are having their challenges for sure. They, they have their battles, they have their issues, they're far from gone. But the song isn't about these issues. The song and the focus is about those issues being solved and how good the two of them could be again. And that's the, uh, the heart of the song is there. And he's openly asking the question, will you still be by my side if we work our way through these issues? And 
there's there seems to be a promise of better days ahead when they work things out. And what sells this song to me, what really drives it home and really touches me very deeply about this song is uh, I feel it comes from an incredibly genuine place. I, I just feel oh, a yeah. deep sincerity in the delivery. And that really gets to me. And the chorus clinches things for me. We live tomorrow. Today has come too soon. So he's still thinking ahead to the better days. They aren't here yet. Today has come too soon. The dust of war referred to in the verse has not yet subsided. That is still here today. And today has come too soon. But there will also be tomorrow. And tomorrow will be better. So let's live tomorrow. Let's dream about the better days. This is the daydreamer. And I see the element of let's go for it. Let's get through this. This big, gigantic heart, romantic heart that is aching to get to that better place with this girl. And he really is aching to get there. And the second verse... Again, this is the two of them going for it. Get away together, a carefree existence, when all that exists is the two of them. And this this reminds me of the line in Winding Wind a bit, and we will cross the wild frontier not ever to retreat. Stewart seems to love the thought of just going for it with someone, just taking off. And this is about the two of them driving down an open road. Monterey and Highway 1 are mentioned in the song, and those could be either places of personal significance or romanticized places or just anywhere. I'm not sure if that is the important part. But remember uh, what he used to call the song In a Big Country in the early days. He used to introduce it sometimes as uh, the song is called Young Guns, Go For It. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> no, I don't, actually. Yeah, there are a couple of uh, bootlegs and things where he says, this song is called Young Guns, Go For It. So maybe that's uh, something that's always played in his in his psyche. Who knows? That sounds like a Bruce Watson title. It does. Yeah. No, I'm glad to hear. You're, you're allowed to change your mind and go for something better. <laughs> but uh, yeah, again, that, that seems to be a, a thought with him. Just just take off and go for it. And, you know, that resonates so well with me. And I've always loved that sense of adventure as well. And back when my, uh, my now wife was uh, courting me, she used to put me in a car and drive us around to all these places. And I loved it. And I still <laughs> love that, that thought of the open road. And just going out and uh, have no destination. You're just going there. And so from a personal thing, that resonates so well with me. I mean, we drove all over the U.S. from the West Coast to the East. And we've driven all over Norway, too. It's just the two of you and the road. And the imagery of this song actually triggers some very happy memories for me. It's a very carefree existence. You're on the road, free from the daily responsibilities. It's, it's just the adventure. And obviously for a couple with potential issues, like the the ones in the song, it could also be a way of leaving those issues behind. Or at least that would test if you really can leave them behind. Because if you keep arguing, maybe the issue wasn't meant to be worked out, or it's it's deeper than that. Maybe that's a sign that you move on. But uh, those kind of trips can be very liberating and almost an escape, and maybe even a new start. Which is interesting that we know they moved to Florida just a year after this song. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say. Yeah, they they made that move, and yeah. so you, you could almost think that maybe he convinces her in this song. <laughs> you know, Who knows? Let's, okay, let's try it. Yeah, you know. yeah. So I just love that imagery, and I love that this song evokes some happy personal memories for me as well. So that obviously makes this song very special, and I think we have examples in the past where 
when songs do that, they they ease, they quickly lure themselves into my heart, and this song definitely does that. So, the evoke uh, the song evokes a lot of that for me, not just not just lyrically, but musically as well. It's very open-ended and, and driving. But uh, I'm gonna go into one of my favorite verses now, which is the one you called out, the one with uh, "We could find a secret room somewhere in the house of gloom," and I think you're spot on in terms of putting that as somewhere in their relationship, if if their relationship is a house, which is, uh, again, something he used on uh, I'm Not Ashamed, that they build a house in a garden made of stone. And again, they have this house here, and maybe this house has a secret room. Uh, the Lost and Lonely Man, I think, is a version of himself speaking to them. I don't know if it's an older version or a younger version, or just uh, putting himself out of body for a moment. But I think this leads to the line that always resonates with me. And the line I take away from this song, the line that always stands out to me is, You have loved and will again. That is the, the line, that is the hook of this song, that line, You have loved and will again. This song is trying to convince her to love again. He's trying perhaps to convince himself to love again, and he dreams desperately of it and really wants it. So this is what the song is about. This is the song summed in one line, you have loved and will again. And I always hear that line with a chill because it's 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 so there. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the line for me on, on this song. And in some ways, even the album, even though the album seemed to not really resonate to it, but... Uh, all these relationship songs, you have loved and will again. That's the line he should he needs to tell himself when he walks around uh, in alone, and definitely when he's in the darkest places in uh, in Seven Waves. This is the line it all comes back to: you have loved and will again. And I think this is perhaps why this song is so late in the album. I think it comes down to this: you have to put a more positive message. You don't uh, you don't leave them on the I might just lay right down and drown. You leave it with you have loved and will again. I thought that I think that's brilliant personally. So that uh, that always stands out to me. And uh, I mentioned the rain dance uh, reference to the last one. Even though the gift of rain is destined to remain, you might love again. It might not be perfect. There may, might still be issues. But if you find back to something, you can work this out. So um, yeah, I, I take away a lot from this song, and uh, I'll just mention briefly some musical highlights too. I think. Um, Primarily for me, in addition to just the music is so nice, it gives you a breather. I love the melody. What a beautiful melody, this song. Yeah, and uh, really it's underpinned by the, that guitar lead line. And also the solo, they are a bit similar. So beautiful. And it's hardly the most difficult solo you'll ever hear on a big country album. But it really speaks. It speaks the message of the song and, and sings. It, and it's, you can sing the solo too when you think of it, which is which to me always makes for the best solos. You can it's like yeah. a little song within itself. It's it's gorgeous. It really is. It's gorgeous. And uh, the song does a great job of 
painting wonderful imagery about taking off on an adventure together. And that's primarily what the song evokes to me, not just lyrically, but musically. It's very laid back, wide open, very comforting in its melody, and yet very precise in its musicianship. And you could almost be excused for seeing this as a yeah, laid back, sort of relaxed, but the playing is incredibly sharp on the song. They're really, oh, yeah. uh, they're really, they're really on it. You can't relax, even though the song feels relaxed. You need to be as sharp as ever, and they truly are. So uh, I don't know if it's just me, but I, I usually gravitate towards the song that stand out a bit. I was kind of reflecting on this, and it seems that when you have an album with eleven ballads and one rocker, I usually gravitate a bit towards the rocker, and on an album with all rockers and or very deep and heavy lyrics. I sometimes gravitate toward the more melodic song with the fantastic melody and positive words. And I don't know, but that's 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 definitely where I'm going with this. That this song was always one I, I gravitated towards. I think it stands out in terms of melody. Uh, it's it's very hard for me not to be touched by this song. So this this rates very high for me, not just on this album, but uh, as a big country song overall. Nice. And where is where is that ranking? Well, I'm sure you have a feeling. <laughs> it's right on top, man. It's number one for me. This is the one you love. Yep. Yeah, it's number six for me. So it's right in the middle, but I still love it quite quite a quite a bit actually. So yeah. Yeah. Number six is quite respectable on this album. Yeah, I think so too. I think yeah. so too. Wonderful. And yeah, th- there are so many. I I agree with you in so many areas there too, and I I agree with you on pretty much that whole interpretation. My only issue with the. Uh, with the lyrics is that I almost feel like they've they've found fool's gold in a sense. <laughs> it's just the cynicism <laughs> coming through. It's like they've they've delayed the inevitable. But um, yeah, but who, uh, who wants is, to think of that when they're listening to the song? Yeah, but uh, this is a little bit of hindsight, isn't it? Because we know how things worked out. It is. That's it, true. it didn't work out. So we have to kind of put ourselves in the shoes of 1992 when. Uh, Anything could still happen, and they they really were trying, and that's I think where the song is coming from. So, um, and obviously I'm clinging to the positive message here because I can't take yet another dreary, negative, wallowing in mystery <laughs> song at this point. But uh, the song really is beautiful, and it, is. Uh, it really is very touching and romantic. It is great song. So, where do you think the audience ranks it? Mm, I would say fairly high. Uh, let me take a guess and say seven i would say fairly low uh, i don't get this myself but this is ranked number 11 by the people 11 wow i can't i i i really i'm scratching my head this is one of three songs that didn't get a single number one vote wow. so so i am the one of all the the 51 people if you include two of us who voted who actually gave it its lone number one vote so you are the get, biological demon child i must be <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, I'll stand lonely by this one. Someone needs to. I think that's um, that's tough. I mean, the lack of number ones is one thing, but it ranks number 11 overall. And it got nine number 12 placements. Interesting. Wow. This is a hated song. But there is a... <laughs> there is a there is a sense <laughs> now remember it, it may not be hated it just it's just number 12 it's hated i i'm wallowing in misery now thank you people no <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting that uh the the earlier a song is on the album the tendency is that it ranks higher mm. and the later it comes it's like the later in the album you get the the ranking goes down Interesting. Uh, so with with that in mind chester's farm 
Okay, and that is the end of episode 56 of The Great Divide and the third part of the Buffalo Skinner's Deep Dive. And we're gonna stop it here for what seemingly seems like the very end of the discussion. Believe me, it isn't. There will be another full episode on the last song on the album, plus a couple of assorted discussions related to it, so you can look forward to that. Meanwhile, look for us on Facebook, The Great Divide Facebook, you'll find us there. Send an email to bigcountrypodcast at gmail.com, find us on Twitter, and let us know how you like it so far. And while we all digest this one, the last, the fourth and final monstrosity of a deep dive episode will make its way to you. So enjoy this one, folks. Have at you. Bravo! I loved that. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get him away! Hey, boo! Boo! Is he going to keep talking about his penis? (laughs) I hope so.